just that word fight and battle that people often use with cancer, that's gearing up our fight or flight response. That's being 100% on all the time, push, push, push. Is that really good for a struggling body? What are the wings of love? How can someone help a loved one when they're diagnosed with a potentially life-threatening condition? Can we still enjoy life after dealing with cancer? Welcome to Bereaved But Still Me. Our purpose is to empower members of our community. I'm Michael Lieben and the father of three children, Idan, Sapir, and Liel. Liel, my youngest daughter, was born with a heart defect and later developed autism and epilepsy. Losing her at 15 is what has brought me here to be the host of this program. Our guest today is Tara Reynolds. Tara developed Wings of Love, a 48-card oracle deck featuring butterflies and moths to help terminally ill patients and their families come to terms with impending death. As a two-time cancer patient, she was struck by the lack of support materials available for end-stage patients. Before she leaves this earth, she'd like to change that. In today's program, we're going to learn more about Tara, her oracle deck, and some advice from Tara on how to help others with cancer. Tara, welcome to Bereaved But Still Me. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start by learning more about your first experience with cancer. I know from our pre-interview that you had breast cancer. Can you tell me more about that? Absolutely. I had early stage breast cancer in 2012, and it was actually caught during a routine mammogram. So I would encourage everybody that you get your mammogram on a regular basis. Fortunately, because it was caught early stage, treatment was fairly easy. I had some surgery, I had some radiation, and then I was good to go. Tell me more about your course of treatment and how you managed to go through all of that. Sure. The course of treatment was, looking back on it, it was very easy. I wonder now if... God wasn't getting me ready for what was to come. I had a lumpectomy, which is a fairly easy surgery to go through. And then after that, I had 32 rounds of radiation. That got a little hairier, but again, it was very manageable. And at the end of my radiation, I was actually able to join an area boating team that we're fortunate enough to have called the Dragon Dream Team. It's made up of all breast cancer survivors. So I was able to get back in the water and with the help of those ladies around me, I was able to surpass where I had been as far as physical fitness goes and just really engage in life again, which was wonderful. Now, for a lot of people, if they've had breast cancer, that's more or less it, or is it expected that it might come back on the other side? I can only speak to my case. But I will let you know that I was told that the chances of my cancer coming back were so small that I really didn't need to worry about it. And I always thought, well, I have to deal with cancer again in my life. It would probably be the breast cancer and it would probably be coming back at stage two or three. And I could probably still rise up to the occasion and overcome with treatment. But that's not exactly what happened, was it? That is not exactly what happened. No, we were just sailing right along our boating team. We were doing really well. 
we were at the point where we could compete in the world races, which were going to be held in Florence, Italy. And we were really excited to do that. A lot of us were taking our spouses along on the trip. And that was the case for my husband and I. We were really looking forward to seeing Europe. And we were all set to take off and race in Florence about three weeks before I noticed this little pink spot by my collarbone. I really didn't think much of it, except, oh, I'm getting ready to go out of the country in a few weeks. I better go see the doctor just in case I don't want to end up in a hospital in a foreign land. So I went to my doctor and my doctor was right on board with me and said, gosh, I don't really think this is anything. Maybe it's a small infection. We're going to put you on some antibiotics and you should be good to go. But given your history, we're just going to send you out for some imaging. And the rest is history. So what did they find? They found stage four lung cancer, which was oh, a, yeah, talk about something coming out of left field. I was not expecting that in my wildest dreams. Italy did not happen. We cheered on the team from home and I sent a few mementos for them to carry on the boat so that I would be there in spirit. But it was time for me to just jump in and start treatment for stage four lung cancer. Where do you go from there? What happens at that moment when they say, whoops, it's terminal? I think that had to be one of the most surreal moments of my life. I was just gobsmacked. I don't know how else to put it. I stayed gobsmacked for a short while and then I just thought, okay, I need to face this and handle it with as much grace and dignity as I can muster. So that's what I decided to do. Wow. I can't really imagine that moment. Your world just turns around completely. You're on your way to Italy and a great time and everything's going great. You're going to have a wonderful time and compete and you're feeling good. And then you get this. Exactly. I didn't feel sick at all. I should point that out. I felt strong. I felt healthy. I wasn't in any pain at that point and was causing me more grief than the cancer was. Did you get the impression that I've been through this before, but it's a little different this time? Did you have any reflections on what was coming? Yes, I did. Being diagnosed with early stage breast cancer feels like a giant pep rally. Everybody's rooting for you. Everybody's cheering for you. You're getting swag bags. People are coming out of the woodwork. They're dropping off meals. They're doing beautiful things for you. Strangers are coming out of the woodwork. Stage four cancer is a whole different ballgame. It's one of the loneliest feelings in the world. Yeah. It's one of the loneliest feelings. There's no cheerleaders. There's no pink pom-poms. There's no swag bags. There's nobody telling you, you got this because everybody knows what's going to happen eventually. And the part that I think we all forget is that's going to happen to all of us eventually anyway. Well, I think those of us in the heart world are aware of that. I've heard from other heart parents, everybody eventually. So it sort of gives them a strength to push through with whatever it is they have ahead. Yes. Yes. 
So stage four cancer felt really lonely and really strange. Instead of having people coming out of the woodwork to support me, it almost felt like people were running into the woodwork to get away from me <laughs> as if I might be contagious somehow, or perhaps they didn't know quite what to say to me. I think it's that. I don't think we do death really well in this country. I think we can learn how to do death a little bit better here in the United States. You are listening to Bereaved But Still Me. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our program, please send an email to Michael Lieben at michael at bereavedbutstillme.com. That's michael at bereavedbutstillme.com. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement. Welcome back to Bereavement Still Me. We're talking with Tara Reynolds. Tara, we were talking about how you discovered you had a terminal illness. Tell us now about how that led you into art. That's kind of an interesting story. It's a little bit outside of the box. So I'll ask that you bear with me here. We're all outside the box here. Yeah. I've always been the type of person that likes to go and do and be active. And after about 20 months or so, I could no longer tolerate the chemo pill. So we needed to look at traditional chemo infusion. That was the only option available for me. And it was not an option that I wanted. So I fought that pretty hard. And my husband and my daughter, of course, were saying, come on, just give it a try. Give it one try. You're in control. We can stop this at any time. I was very torn about trying that chemotherapy. And when you receive chemotherapy, just like any procedure, a nurse takes you into a small room and explains what's going to happen. In this case, there's a giant notebook and you basically spend the entire time going over side effects and all the things that can go wrong during chemo. And as that was happening, I was hearing a small voice in my head just saying, no, and it got louder and stronger and I began to wonder if I was having a panic attack or if I was having some kind of a brain tumor or some weird thing was happening. And it continued the whole way home as I drove home in the car was just no, no. And I canceled out of chemo twice before I went ahead and went through it. And I actually found out later when I consulted a medium, that that was my father. And my father was a physician in his life here on earth, and that he has been guiding me to choose the treatment options that will be most comfortable and keep me here the longest with my family. And that was a really special moment. And even though I felt like Maybe I didn't have a whole lot of other people on my side. My dad was there. 
he was on my shoulder. He was whispering in my ear and it just moved me to tears and it helped me to stand strong in my decision. You know, I totally feel that. My father has been on my shoulder since he left. Your father's been giving you medical advice. My father's been telling me bad jokes, but yeah. it's, it is very comforting. And it's some sort of affirmation also that you're doing the right thing, or at least for you yourself, you're doing the right thing. I would never tell anybody to do chemo or not do chemo. That's a decision Correct. for the patient to make. It's a very personal decision. And I also would like to reiterate that while it was the right decision for me, it's a personal decision. It's one that needs to discuss with their doctor, their family, and most of all, they just need to spend some time in reflection and decide if it's going to be the right thing for them. So I decided to try one infusion and it was pretty much of a nightmare. I felt very strongly that I would not survive chemo, that I would have a better chance to forego chemo and sign up for hospice. My faith also began to grow. I was paired with a really wonderful hospice chaplain. And I'm just going to digress here for one minute and put this out there. If you're dealing with a terminal illness, please call hospice sooner rather than later. Because the sooner you begin to work with them, the actual longer life expectancy you might have. Do you have an idea what that might be? I think because hospice care is patient-centered, everything is about keeping you comfortable and your well-being. Chemotherapy is not that. And I think that goes a long way toward just longevity, just being at peace, being comfortable. And a lot of times my hospice nurses tell me that people end up living longer on hospice than they thought they would. Yeah. People that come to hospice very late when they're already actively dying, those are the people that pass very quickly because they've waited so long. Now, I want to be clear, you're doing hospice at home. Is that yes. I have a fantastic team that comes in and visits me at home and takes care of me. Now, let's talk about the art. Yeah, going back to the art. So my faith was growing. And for some reason, I don't know why I always seem to talk to God when I'm in the car. So I'm driving along. I'm talking to God. I'm just saying, God, I haven't died before. I don't know how to do this. I'm going to need some help getting through this process. What God did was send me that hospice team to help me. But the next thing God did was tell me to paint. I've been a graphic artist my entire life, but I've never been a fine artist. And I've always wanted to play with paint. And I said to God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I've got to go insane if I'm just sitting around watching TV all day, waiting to die. And God said, no, you'll paint and you'll write like you've always done. And I thought, okay. And within the next day or two, I was on YouTube and an artist video popped up and it was this really calm woman and she was offering watercolor lessons through her YouTube channel for a very fair price. And I 
thought about what God told me and I said, well, okay, I can swing this. I'm going to sign up for this class. And that's how I began to paint. The words came a little bit later. Well, how was it that you came up with Wings of Love? That same artist put out a video one day talking about finding your worth as an artist. She had artist affirmations that she shared. And she was reading these artist affirmations and showing different pictures of her work. And I just thought to myself, wow, if there was something like this for terminal cancer patients, that would be incredible. So I wrote a few affirmations of my own and I took it to my local cancer center. And I just said, hey, what do you guys think of this? And I showed it to my hospice team and asked them the same question. And everybody said, yes, we think there is a need for this. We think this can work. Keep going. So that's what I did. Tell me a little bit more about Wings of Love and how people can get them. How are they distributed? The Wings of Love Oracle Deck is available through our Etsy store. And we are also on Instagram and Facebook as Wings of Love. So I can buy one. And how does the other one get donated? Do I tell you who to give it to? Unfortunately, no. We start a list of people who want them. So hospice organizations, cancer centers, who would like to have them. And we just go down the list and fill the orders 10 decks at a time. If you've enjoyed listening to this program, please visit our website, heartsuniteTheGlobe.org, and make a contribution. This program is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to educate, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at congenitalheartdefects.com. For information about CHD, hospitals that treat CHD survivors, summer camps for CHD families, and much, much more. Tara, let's talk about how to prepare for the end of life. It seems that your Oracle deck is more than just a bunch of affirmations. Tell us about some of the special activities that you came up with in this deck. Sure. So as I mentioned before, some of them are logistic things, such as get your papers in order. Those we might think of on our own. And then there's different activities. There are songs to listen to. There are books that you can read. There are activities such as drawing what you think heaven might look like or making a soundtrack with your family so that you can remember all the good times and they can have that soundtrack when you leave Earth and they can remember the good times all over again. Those are some of the examples of things that are in the deck. I love that because it's not the sort of thing that you might think of. It's actual hard advice for people. Besides get your papers in order, which is very important, and it's part of it. Yes. I like the idea that it has many activities for things that you can do for your family for after so that they will remember you and carry you with them. And that's one of the important points that this program has always been on about. So I really am totally in line with this, and I love it. Thank you so much. I appreciate that.
What advice would you give to others who have received the terminal diagnosis? The first thing that I would say is to just give yourself a little time to let it sink in. It's a lot. It really is. And the second thing I would say is don't get ahead of yourself. Yes, it's important to think ahead in terms of, like we mentioned, get those papers in order and so forth. But don't lose sight of the present day. I start every day just saying, okay, God, what are you bringing me today? What's on our agenda today? And I try to just take it day by day. And day by day has gotten me 20 more months than my oncologist said I would have. I think it's a pretty good plan. So although it's very simple. Just for comparison, on chemo, how much time did they give you if you had done chemo? Two to six months. And we're here now 20 months later. Yeah, we're here 20 months later. We don't give medical advice and we're not going to tell people here, don't do chemo. That's not the point. I think no. the point is, though, that there are decisions that people have to make that involve themselves and basically themselves alone. It's a difficult decision. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about hospice. Sure. I, I think I've evolved on hospice. I was a little concerned that if you are in hospice, maybe you're not doing everything you could be doing. And there are people who I think would think that if mm -hmm. I'm not doing chemo, then I'm hurting myself by not doing it. So tell me a little bit about what that's involved because I see these, again, I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on TV, but I've seen these ads for all these miracle medications for cancer. And then half of the commercial is all the things that could go wrong, including it could make your cancer worse and you could die. <laughs> yeah. So My family and I, we have a little game that we play where we make up side effects to those commercials. <laughs> right. Your ears will bleed. That's what it, it's just yeah. crazy. Uncontrollable uh, stock rockets. Yeah. And we're laughing, and I'm sure somebody thinks that's inappropriate, and I apologize. But no, you I also gotta think laugh. You gotta laugh. That's my line. Yeah, you, you took it. But seriously, for people considering hospice, it's one of those things that I'll give an example that's not exactly the same thing. When my daughter was dying, we had different options. We could leave her on the machines for who knows how long. We could take off all the machines but the breathing machines, and so that she would crash. Or we mm -hmm. could disconnect her now with some sort of dignity and let that happen. And my yeah. children wanted us to go all the way and let her crash because that way there's they could say there was nothing we didn't try. Okay. And that's one aspect of it. But if we had yeah. done that, we would not have been able to donate any organs. And so we had to take that leap and say, once she's brain dead, she's really gone. And breathing or not breathing, she's gone. But that's a decision we had to make. And I think you have to make the similar decision in hospice. Your diagnosis is terminal. Yes. All right. Can't be more blunt than that. You are going to die from this. So it's not yeah. a question of, can I stop it from happening? It's, can I stave it off a little bit in a way that, that may be terribly painful and hurtful to me and my family? I think people don't necessarily think that through until they're in that position. You're there. I'm not. Am I right? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I am a big proponent of starting hospice before you think you need to start hospice. Hospice, nurses, social workers, chaplains, physicians are 
miracle workers. They are, I call them my earth angels. They are so different from the type of staff that I encountered dealing with oncology. And that's not to say that oncology staff isn't effective and isn't caring. They are. But when you're dealing with chemotherapy, there is an attitude of you've got to fight through this. You've got to push through this. And if you think about just that word fight and battle that people often use with cancer, that's gearing up our fight or flight response. That's being 100% on all the time. Push, push, push. Is that really good for a struggling body to be in that state? I don't think it is. It wasn't for me. Hospice allowed me to come at this the way that I wanted to. I was in control. I could start my pain medicine when I wanted to. I could talk to a chaplain when I wanted to. If I didn't want to do something, we wouldn't do it. No problem at all. Feeling like I had this team that was 100% behind me, I can't tell you what that did for my spirit. It was really a beautiful thing. I think it's important. I think in the end, once it's decided that we're going, once that's a given and we can't really change that, then how we go has a lot to do with us personally, but also with our families and how we'll be remembered and the pressure on our families at the critical moments. So yes. I respect that. I respect that. And as I've said, I've evolved a lot on that regarding hospice. It always seemed to me like, don't you want to do more? And as we've said, sometimes the answer is no. And that concludes this episode of Brave But Still Me. I want to thank Tara Reynolds for sharing her story, her bravery, and the Wings of Love cards. Please join us at the beginning of the month for a brand new podcast. I'll talk with you soon. But until then, please remember, moving forward is not moving away. Thank you for joining us. We hope you have felt supported in your grief journey. Bereaved But Still Me is a monthly podcast. And a new episode is released on the first Thursday of each month. You can hear our podcast anywhere you normally listen to podcasts at any time. Join us again next month for a brand new episode of Bereaved But Still Me.